Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A listener note, this podcast contains strong language and disturbing content. It was April 1994. I was in Gloucester investigating the West's early years. One day I got an address for Fred West's brother, John. I drove to his house on my own, hoping to get him to speak. John West worked as a dustman and he lived on a housing estate in the middle of Gloucester. There was no answer at his house, but I noticed the window was open. So I asked next door. I was a little wary. I'd heard that John West may have been involved in crimes at Cromwell Street and he had a temper. Going round to the back of the house, I met some children. Anybody in? Yeah. Can I walk down there? Hello. Then I saw a man standing next to the garage, wearing a blue sleeveless top. He had the same stocky appearance and bushy hair as Fred. I introduced myself. John West went crazy. He told me to piss off or he'd smack my head in and raised his fist to do it. He said he'd had enough of us bastards, meaning the press. I could see he was in danger of losing control. I retreated slowly to my car, not wanting to panic. But he came after me. His wife tried to hold him back. He shouted, You're gonna kill the fucking lot of us! I was close to getting punched in the face. I'm gonna go. Then I realised I'd parked in a dead end. Got into my car quickly, put it into reverse, and backed away from Mr. West's house, vowing never to return.
From something else, this is Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes. Episode 8, The One That Got Away. I'm Howard Soons, author of Fred and Rose. In the months after Fred West's arrest, I was working all hours, reporting on the murder case for my newspaper and researching my book on the Wests. I wanted to try to understand the couple, how they had developed into killers, and how they got away with their crimes for so long. I was looking for missed warning signs, or signs people had failed to act upon. There was one incident in particular in 1973, where a West victim escaped and went to the police. Were there moments when events could have taken a different turn? But of course, I wasn't the only one working on this story. The West case had attracted huge media interest, and dozens of journalists were chasing leads in Gloucester. Competition for stories was intense. And that's when the checkbooks came out. Journalists offering money to potential trial witnesses became a big problem in the West case. The police feared that it might prejudice or even derail the court case. When the media circus came to town, it was an opportunity to make money. And in those days, journalists would buy stories and the checkbooks were open and you know, the, the national papers would buy people up for you know, thousands of pounds or you know, you'd, you'd spend hundreds of pounds just getting a photograph. For some of the West neighbours, the police excavations of 25 Cromwell Street became a source of income. There was one story in particular that I heard. The photographers wanted a good picture of the police investigation of digging up the back garden. And it was a very narrow area, hard to to see what was going on. You know, the the houses were narrow and the access was limited. One of the neighbours allowed the press to to erect a scaffold tower, basically like a TV tower, in his back garden. And uh, then he would charge the photographers, um, I think, £10 to go through his house. You had to go through the house to get to go up the scaffold to take a picture. But then he realised that he could also stop them leaving until they paid him another £20 to go back through the house, take the film back to get it processed. Meanwhile, I was chasing a new lead. It started in Gloucester's public library with an old newspaper report in the Gloucester Citizen dated the 13th of January, 1973. The article read, A 17-year-old girl was stripped, bound and gagged and sexually assaulted by a married couple, Gloucester City Magistrates heard yesterday. The couple, Frederick West, 31, and his 19-year-old wife, Rosemary, of 25 Cromwell Street, admitted assaulting the girl, causing actual bodily harm. They also pleaded guilty to indecently assaulting her. The magistrates fined each of them £25 on each of the charges. How did Fred and Rose get off so lightly? There was an even more troubling aspect. When this assault happened in December 1972, the Wests hadn't yet killed together, as far as we know. They started after this case. This seems to have been the turning point for Fred and Rose the one that set the couple on the path to serial murder. 
The West teenage victim wasn't named in the 1973 court report, but she would be 38 now. If I could find her, perhaps I could persuade her to talk. I asked around and was told she was still living in Cinderford, a mining town in the Forest of Dean, 18 miles from Gloucester. I went and spoke to local people in the Miners' Hall. They said reporters from the rival Sun newspaper had also been asking questions, so I was in a race. Hello, how are you doing? All right? Good. Good. How did you get on last night? Um, uh, so good and bad, really. I left my number with one of the men at the Miners' Hall, Mr Brain, and sure enough, he called me back. So now I had a name, Caroline Rain, though she had since been married and was also known as Caroline Owens. I found the estate where she lived, but had trouble working out which house was hers, so I started knocking on doors. Excuse me, you don't know um, where your neighbours are, do you? Huh? You haven't seen your neighbours, have you? You're not enough. Uh, mine's Howard. I'm trying to find them. Oh, well, I ain't going to find them then. <laughs> Why? Have they died of this? <laughs> they messed up. No luck. When I tried the next door, two women answered. One hung back while the other did the talking. Hello. I'm Howard Spoons. I work for Sunday Moon newspaper. Um, I know, I believe I know, that Caroline, who lives here, is a radio girl, so I can speak to. Is that possible? I wondered if Caroline was being minded by a police officer. Are you a police officer? I mean, I don't particularly want to talk to anybody about anything, all right? But it seemed this was just a friend. Maybe I could explain who I am and why I'm here. I don't want to be rude. Yeah. I've got your number. I don't want to call you, I'll call you, but please don't call again. Are you sure what the wrong address? No, I'm going. I'm number, all right? All right. All I could do was leave my number and hope Caroline chose to call and give me her story. The West victim who got away. While I was pursuing Caroline Owens, I got a tip-off about a potentially huge development in the police investigation. The tip came to me early one Saturday morning when I was still in bed in my hotel in the Cotswolds. I was told that the police now thought there might be another five victims and they were investigating whether Fred had killed his own mother. They might exhume her body. I rang the news desk and said, I've always wanted to say this, but hold the front page. My story ran as a world exclusive on page one. The headline was New House of Horrors Sensation. It was one of the biggest bylines I'd ever had. But my satisfaction was brief. The following week, I received a call from the officer in charge of the West case, Detective Superintendent John Bennett. And he wasn't happy. 
I know that you printed speculative information which has been totally inaccurate, which has caused a great deal of grief for a large number of people. This was embarrassing and perplexing because I had the story on good authority. And I sincerely apologise if, yeah, if we haven't... You have, and certainly even yesterday, I had one of the relatives of the West family contacting me in connection with one of your articles in there, yeah, right. which is totally, it was totally and utterly inaccurate. But may I just say that um, the piece said that yeah. um, Mr West had been questioned regarding the death of his mother, which I... Is that incorrect? That he totally was, incorrect. He was never questioned about, no. about his mother? No. Oh. Well, Neither that, was there ever an intention to, or an inclination to exhume Mrs. West, whatever well, I, I, I must I say, no, I apologise well, very much are, if, we, if we got it wrong. I'm, well, apologies are, 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 are fine, but the damage is done the day the papers come out. But it seemed my information was wrong. It made me look bad and earned me a telling off from John Bennett, who was trying to find out where I was getting my information. On the upside, things were progressing with Caroline. I made contact with her mum, a chatty lady named Elizabeth Harris, who invited me into her house for tea. We got on well, and she promised to put in a word with her daughter. I called her up later to ask for Caroline's number. Hello. Hi, Mrs Harris. Yes, who are you? It's Howard Sims from the Mirror newspaper. Oh, yes, what can I do you for? How are you? Fed up, how are you? Oh, I'm all right. Oh, good. Oh, what's wrong with you, then? I, I, I'm just fed up. Are you? Yeah, I could do with a bottle of whiskey and uh, like half a dozen men. <laughs> yeah, are you your age? Yeah, what do you mean? I'm a teeny. What do you mean, my age? Yeah. All right, what can I do you for? I'm just trying to check something with your daughter. Well, she moved, she moved to another house. Oh, she's moved. I just wonder, would you be so kind? Is there a number I could try her on? Yes, I I'll give you a try. I'll have to get, get my book. Very kind of you. Uh, this is uh, Howard Soon's calling for uh, Caroline. Um, Howard Soon's uh, the journalist. Um, um, I'll try another time. Sorry, Trubby. Thanks. Coming up, I finally speak to Caroline. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. (laughs) 
I was trying to talk to Caroline Owens, the woman who, as a 17-year-old, had survived an attack by Fred and Rose West. So far, I wasn't having much luck. I was also in trouble with Detective Superintendent Bennett, the officer leading the police inquiry, over my incorrect story about Fred's mother. But that wasn't the only thing that was irritating Mr. Bennett. The media was enjoying a feeding frenzy in Gloucester, which caused him big problems. I made Mr. Bennett's life even more difficult when I found out where police were holding Rose West. Rose hadn't yet been charged with any crimes, but she couldn't stay at Cromwell Street, so the police had put her up in a secret safe house near Cheltenham. In those days, when you wanted to stake out an address, if you really wanted to do it properly, we would sit in a van outside the address, and we weren't bugging the house. We didn't have that much sophistication, but basically what we were trying to do was get a photograph. Then the police worked out that we knew where the safe house was and they had to move her to another safe house. John Bennett would say, how did you find out where she was? You know, he was absolutely having conniptions. How did you find out this address? Because uh, it's supposed to be a secret. The media circus that came with the West case was a headache for Detective Superintendent Bennett. He had no experience of so much press attention. He told me once it was like a wave coming up from a beach that knocked him over. He was heading a team of 84 police officers, spending millions of pounds trying to find and identify 12 bodies and preparing for a huge murder trial. I sympathise with Mr Bennett. We were both investigating the Wests, trying to figure them out, but we came at it from different angles. I'm not saying that what you do is wrong. When we next spoke on the phone, he seemed more understanding. Uh, I like to think that I actually think like you I was still calling Caroline, trying to secure her story. Oh, hi, Caroline. Hi, it's Howard Soons from the Sunday Mirror newspaper. How are you? The quality of the recording at the end of the phone call isn't very good, but it was me doing most of the talking. I wanted to just find out your situation, really. Um, I wanted to find out how you felt about speaking about it in the future. I was hoping really to come around and just talk about that, not talk about what happened, but talk about how you feel about maybe talking about it. I knew that rival reporters were courting Caroline too, and this is where money became a factor. To be blunt about it, we could pay you a great deal of money. Because it's a very, very interesting story. I mean, obviously, also a very unpleasant experience for you in the past, but crucial in the whole investigation. And that they weren't locked up all those years ago is, is, is criminal in itself. For that reason, it's such a, it's such a remarkable story. And, and, the, and the public, when they know about it, would be amazed uh, that you did the brave thing and then they would just find this ridiculous amount which is incredible. It was never my first choice to offer anyone money, and I never paid people for interviews in my book. But back when newspapers sold in the millions and were awash with cash, journalists would commonly offer money to people like Caroline if rival papers were competing for her exclusive story. If 
make it, you can make a great deal of money out of it. But the only way you can do that is to do it in an organised way and to have a, a newspaper sign a contract to promise, you know, so you know you're going to get that amount of money um, and a proper uh, agreement to be drawn up so you're happy and, and you know exactly what's happening. Um, so you have some control over things. I didn't know at this stage whether Caroline would be called as a witness in the trial. If she was, we definitely couldn't pay her beforehand in case that prejudiced her evidence. So when she told me she might have to be a witness... Did, they, did the police tell you that? I had to tread very carefully. We'd have to take some advice on that, but obviously we wouldn't get in the way of any work you do with the police. It would just be something that we would do once the case is finished. But now is the time, now's the time to organise it. The standard practice then was to agree an exclusive deal, payment after the trial, when the story could be published without risking contempt of court. If we did a deal and you, and you wanted us to help your mum out as well, then we could do that. You know, your mum was saying she wanted to go to Australia and see her brother. I mean, we'd, like, I mean, we'd be more than happy to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll bend over backwards to help, to, help, uh, to help you because we can do it in a second, you know. She was warming up. She asked how much she could get. Right. We, it, it's entirely negotiable. Just as a starting figure. I mean, and, uh, you know, and it's not as high as we can go, but I'll just offer you the starting figure so you know roughly what we're talking about. We'd offer you, let's say, £10,000. Now, you might want more than that. And if I, if I were you, I'd ask for more than that. Well, then we just negotiate. You, you, you tell me what you want, and we just work out a figure. Caroline said the son had already made her an offer of £500, but then she asked them for £100,000. Well, well £100,000 is probably a bit high, you know. £500 is probably a bit low. You know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I mean, a, a, good, a good payment is £10,000, but for a story like yours, which is a remarkable story, it's unusual. She said she'd have to think about it. It's really, the simple thing is, we would like to pay you a lot of money, and what we're paying you to do is to tell us your story. But obviously, tell only us. We don't want you to tell anyone else. Just tell us. And then we'll run your story. And as long as you don't tell anyone else your story before that, then you get the money. And then, if you want, it's all over. And then you can do what you like with your life. Right, OK. I'll leave you to it. Thanks. Bye. It was a long phone call and she could have hung up, but she heard me out and we were becoming a little more friendly. Maybe she would sign with the mirror after all. Five days later, when I hadn't heard from Caroline, I went to her house. Hello? How are you? She'd signed with the sun for £20,000. The Sunday Mirror made a counteroffer of £50,000. But Caroline wouldn't break her contract. I had failed to buy up Caroline for the Mirror, and soon enough our rivals, The Sun, ran her exclusive story. Almost a year later, in February 1995, I finally got to speak to Caroline Owens properly. By then, her evidence had been heard by journalists at a pre-trial hearing, so she kindly let me check some facts for my book. How are you? 
Yeah. I'm all right. You probably know there was a committal hearing. Yeah. Um, so everybody's got a story anyway. Everyone's got the story. After all that first. <laughs> a version of Caroline's story had since described her crudely as Fred West's sex slave. To make matters worse, her local paper in the Forest of Dean had written about her under the headline Forest Woman is Believed to Have Pocketed Thousands. So that was the start of that. This is the local paper. Yeah. Then the gossip columnist the following week in that paper put, I can muster up no sympathy at all for Miss Rain after selling her sordid details of her contact with Fred West to the gutter press. And I thought, this and all. I actually went and seen the editor of the local paper, like, and I said to me, can you dare mention the me? I said, you know, if you've got a 16-year-old daughter and I gave you a million pounds, if you let her go for what I went through, would you do it? He said, no. I said, well, don't talk to me about money. A word of caution. Some listeners may find the following account disturbing. Back in 1972, Caroline used to regularly hitch a lift home after seeing her boyfriend in nearby Tewkesbury. That was my place that I would stop to have um, hitchhike. A bloke that was working for British Telecom, I think it was, when he was on his night shift, yeah. if he came past, he would pick me up. Right. And then I'd get out of Gloucester. Yeah, I always waited there, yeah. But one December night, the British Telecom man didn't come past. Instead, a couple stopped for her. It was Fred and Rose. They gave her a ride to her mother's house in the Forest of Dean. Before they left, the West made her an offer. Would she like to come to work at Cromwell Street as their nanny? They could pay her £3 a week to help look after Heather and baby May, with board and lodging thrown in. Looking back, this makes no sense. The West didn't have the income to employ a nanny, Rose was a stay-at-home mum. It was a way of ensnaring naive young girls. Caroline gave it serious thought. Like many young women the West preyed upon, she was from an unsettled background and she wanted her independence. A few days later, she arrived at 25 Cromwell Street to start her new life. She shared a bedroom with the eldest child, Anna Marie, who was quiet and withdrawn. Fred was out at work most of the day, but when he returned at night, all he talked about was sex, making obscene remarks that shocked Caroline. The Wests had an open marriage, and Caroline saw Rose in bed with other men, while Rose made sexual advances towards her. Feeling uncomfortable, Caroline soon left. A few weeks later, on a dark night in December... Caroline was back in Tewkesbury, waiting for a lift home from seeing her boyfriend. A familiar car poured up. Grey, I think. Grey? Yeah. It was Fred and Rose, in their two-door Ford Popular. They offered her a lift again. Thinking she had nothing to fear, Caroline got in the back. So when, when you got in the back, Rose had to get out to pull the seat forward to fetch you in, did she? Yeah. Right. They drove through the night... Rose, who had her arm on Caroline's shoulder, started touching her breasts. Then Fred pulled over by a farm gate, turned around and punched Caroline in the head until she was unconscious. When Caroline came to, she was still in the car, 
Her arms were tied behind her back with a scarf, and the West were gagging her with sticky tape. They pushed her down to the floor and drove back to Cromwell Street, where Caroline endured a violent sexual assault that lasted all night. Rose was the dominant abuser, but Fred threatened Caroline's life, as she later recalled. He said he would keep me in the cellar and let his friends use me, and when they had finished with me, they would bury me under the paving stones of Gloucester. He said there were already hundreds of girls there, and the police wouldn't find them. In the morning, when Rose left the room, Fred raped Caroline. first things that happened to you. Fred was weeping. Nearer the morning time, yeah. After he assaulted you. Was Rose there then? No. No. Did he did he make you promise not to tell her? He didn't want Rose to know what he'd done. Yeah. Yeah. And so one presumes he wept because he was frightened of Rose finding out. Yeah. The West let her have a bath after which they all went to the laundrette. Caroline led them to think she would come back to work for them. Fred had trouble parking his car, so he let Rose and Caroline out while he found a space. Caroline seized her chance to escape, telling Rose that she'd see her tomorrow. When Caroline's mum noticed bruising on her daughter's face, she insisted that they call the police. Caroline told the police that Fred had raped her, but the West denied this, and to press a rape charge would have meant Caroline giving evidence in court. Now, she was only 17, and Caroline was worried that the West might come after her, so a deal was done. It was agreed that the West would plead guilty if they were charged with the lesser offence of assault. The magistrate told Fred and Rose... We do not think that sending you to prison will do you any good. The West knew it was Caroline's word against theirs, and they got away with it. Do you think you were the first one? I think I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first one for Rose, I think. Uh... I think Fred's given the police the impression that it was almost, I mean, a dummy run almost to see if Rose could do it. Because obviously he had been doing these sort of things before, long before this happened to you. But I don't necessarily know if Rose had. But it had been a very close call. Next time they would make sure their victim couldn't talk. More than 20 years later, Caroline was still trying to deal with the horror of what happened to her, and no amount of newspaper money could make up for what she suffered. I kept thinking, why, why didn't they kill me the first time they picked me up? Mm. You know when they picked me up and then asked me to be a nanny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That first time, why didn't they kill me then? They hadn't met my family, nobody would connect to them. Why do you think? I don't know, I've got a clue. Right, I'll leave you to your baby who's crying, huh? 
Is she? What's the weather like today in Gloucester? Sunny, windy, and we keep having rainstorms. Yeah? All right, then. Thank you, Pam. Yeah, bye now. Bye. As the trial approached, John Bennett invited me into Gloucester Police Station for a chat. I'd had many run-ins with the senior investigating officer, so I was curious to hear what he had to say. Uh, Impressions of uh, Superintendent Bennett. Sat me for four hours. Answered practically every question. Doesn't like to be interrupted much. Above all, Mr Bennett was worried that the media could derail the trial with their reckless behaviour. So many witnesses had spoken to journalists and been paid or promised payment that he feared the whole case might be thrown out. The defence could argue that evidence had been compromised, making a fair trial impossible. In the circumstances, I was relieved that I hadn't ended up paying any witnesses, though I'd been negotiating with Caroline. But as we got closer to the trial, I did worry that the intense media coverage of this case, feeding the public's appetite for the story, might backfire. What if Fred and Rose got off? It had happened before. I recorded my thoughts on cassette tape as I drove back to London afterwards. You also gave me the clear impression that Fred's going to plead not guilty. So he didn't do it. That's going to be his um, defence. Twenty-five years later, I met up with John Bennett for a drink in his local pub. He was retired now, and it was a friendly conversation, reminiscing about the murder case and the days of the media circus. Then he told me something surprising. All through reporting on the story, I knew Mr Bennett wanted to know who my main source was, the person who told me Cromwell Street was full of dead bodies and continued to feed me information. John Bennett's worry was that this was one of his officers. To try and find out, he told me that he'd had the phone records and bank statements of his officers checked to see if anyone was being paid by me. Then he got hold of my phone records to see who I called and he had my car followed to see who I met. I never suspected a thing. And that erroneous front-page story about Fred being questioned about the death of his mother, well, John finally came clean. He said he planted that story in an interview room to see who it leaked to. It went to me, and I fell into his trap. But he still didn't know who my source was. Next time on Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes. The unravelling. How were Fred and Rose caught? Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes was written and presented by Howard Soons. The producer was Paul Smith. The executive producer was Russell Finch. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The title music was composed by Shani Aviram. 
with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Antonia Udunlami, Ben Maidley, and Alice Lutchins. Unheard, the Fred and Rose West Tapes is a Something Else production. Also from Something Else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth, one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful, and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... God, don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.